It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone, I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button while you're watching the show today. Got a, a really exciting guest today, a guy that I've been looking forward to bringing on here for the past couple weeks just coming off the NFL draft, and he was able to to announce the seventh-round pick for, for the Miami Dolphins, being the 2020 Miami Dolphins Fan of the Year. Just so thankful to have Ian Berger today, a.k.a. Big E. Big E, what's going on, man? Hey, Bennett. Thank you so much for inviting me today, man. Everything is going great. I appreciate uh, appreciate you allowing me to be on your show today. Well, I want to start off with you about how – you know, this whole process has been for you, being selected as the 2020 Dolphins fan of the year, being able to announce the, the Dolphins' seventh-round pick at the draft, had a busy last couple months. Just what what's this whole process been like for you, and, and how did this all come about for you? I think to say busy has been a little bit of an understatement because it's really, uh, since this whole thing happened, it's really been a kind of a whirlwind for me. And, uh, you know, it was about a year ago. It was in May of last year that, that I learned about the – fan of the year program that the NFL put out that that was the inaugural season of the fan of the year program. And someone through social media said, Hey, I'm going to nominate you. And then it kind of traveled to a bunch of other folks that, you know, or Miami Dolphins fans that have been following me for years and that follow my, my journey with my, my third, my soon to be actually my 14 year old daughter. She just turned 14 yesterday. Um, and you know, we go to every Miami Dolphins home game, I'm very, very active on social media. I'm a very positive influence on a lot of different uh, Miami Dolphins fans. So they they nominated me for a lot of the great things that I do. And uh, sure enough, in I want to say it was right before the season started, I was notified via a Miami Dolphins podcast that uh, that I was selected uh, to be the Miami Dolphins representative. And with that, they said, well, you're one of 32 fans that can now get selected to possibly go to the Super Bowl in Tampa. So I thought there was no way that that was going to happen. Um, but after the season ended, uh, they they brought me down to Hard Rock Stadium where I had the opportunity to. They they told me I was actually going to be down there for a marketing uh, marketing film where they're going to market you know the fan of the year. They weren't able to do it during the regular season. They surprised me to let me know that uh, that I did actually make it to the final three of the fan of the year contest, which meant I was able to bring my my now 14 year old daughter, Jessica to the Super Bowl in Tampa. Uh, and it was, it was an amazing experience. I think it was three days and two nights in Tampa, fully, full expense paid by the NFL. Um, and then, you know, then came back, thought I was done, thought that was it, which was obviously amazing. And I uh, got a call a couple weeks later that said, now we want you to go to Cleveland. We're flying you out with all 32 fans of the year to, uh, to get out to Cleveland, to announce a pick in the NFL draft. And, you know, as a fan and, and as a fan of any sport, not just football, you know, these are things that you only dream about doing to be able to go to the biggest you know event of the year for that sport and be able to announce a pick for your favorite team at the at the draft. It really was. Uh, it was something that I could only dream about, to be honest with you. And I keep saying that to people because they say, how did you feel? I'm like, it's hard to just say, it. you know, it's just think about 
think about it from a fan's perspective, how great it is. But, but now we're, we're on to the 2021 fan of the year program. I think they just opened it up a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, so I'm helping people make sure that they're nominating others that they think were, are, are great representatives of their team. That's awesome. And you do such, such great work out, out in the, the Twitterverse. So you're, so you're, See your handle out there all the time, and you're always always so encouraging to to other Dolphins fans. And wanted to ask you about the emotions on on that Saturday of the draft, though, because we we're talking about it in the pre-show. You were supposed to announce the Dolphins' fifth round pick, and then it gets traded away, and then you finally get to announce uh, the seventh round pick uh, for the Dolphins. What what were those emotions kind of like for you as you go through those hours? Or are you nervous that you might not get to announce a pick? Yeah. And, and the way it was supposed to work, I think it was 151st or 154th pick. I was in the fifth round for the Dolphins and I was looking forward to it. And they actually brought myself and two of the other fans of the year into the backstage because they wanted you back there about 10 picks earlier. So I was up there and I, in my mind too, I was thinking, what am I going to say? So it was, I was running through what I wanted to say over and over again. So I didn't get up in the mic in front of thousands of people, you know, make a mistake. And, uh, I was, just about to go out. I was standing there. I had the the stage in my sights and they were telling me what I needed to do. And then just as the time was about to expire, they came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, sorry, your trade got, your pick got traded. So we'll call you back up, but somebody's going to walk you back down. So they walked me that back down and I didn't even know what the, what the trade was. I was like, all right, maybe it's in the sixth round. No, they traded it to next year. So that meant there were two more picks left. So they, they told me that your next pick is going to be the 420th pick or what, or I'm sorry, 220th pick or whatever that was. And I was like, okay, great. Five picks before that, they came over, tapped me on the shoulder. They said, well, coach Flores is actually going to be calling that pick. Um, so you're going to have to announce the 244th pick. And I actually started worrying. I said, what happens if the dolphins trade that pick away? And, uh, and they're like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. You'll get some stage time at some point. And they said, oh, and by the way, you are the last fan of the year to, to be able to announce their players. So that meant that the 31 other fans of the years had already gone through that, that process. So fortunately for the 244th pick, they, they were able to get me on. Um, and I went out there and it was just pure adrenaline as I was walking out there. It was such a, such a fun time. It really was to be able to do that. And uh, Jared Dokes, who's a running back from Cincinnati, was the player that I called. And uh, and I was just really so fortunate to be able to do that and honored, honestly, as a, as a Miami Dolphins fan to be able to announce him. And we've we've actually connected on social media. I sent him his uh, his draft card, which uh, was something special that I wanted to make sure that he was able to get, um, because for me, it's an experience. But for him, it's a it's a lifelong achievement, from my opinion. And I thought it would be more important for him. And he actually recorded a YouTube video about a week, two weeks ago. And he said, he actually showed it. He said, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to, I'm going to frame this. You know, this is amazing. So I, I did, I felt like I did, uh, I did a, a good deed, I guess you can say for somebody who really deserved it. Hey, that, that, that's a really awesome story. And, and what, what, I wanted to ask you what it, what it's kind of like for you, you know, being, being this dolphin super fan that you are when you're, when you're a super, when you're a, you know a super fan of a team going through the draft, what what are the emotions kind of feeling? Especially the Dolphins, they had a couple first round picks this year, Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips. What what are the emotions kind of like for you going through you know that first round of the draft when you have some picks and then ultimately getting two players who could be great players for the Dolphins, especially Jalen Waddle, who could really 
take the top off the defense. He's got game breaking speed out of there. He, you know, he's he's going to be fully recovered from that injury. And then Jalen Phillips can really rush the edge as well, rush the passer. You know, for me, I would say there's mixed emotions, and here's why. First of all, I'm I'm always optimistic. I'm always excited when we draft players. You know, and for me, it's always been about the logo on my hat, right? The logo on my shirt, which is the Miami Dolphins. When we add new players, I'm always extremely optimistic that these guys, these young men are going to make a difference for our team. Why I say it's mixed is because prior to the draft, as with any football team, you start hearing, you know, these, who are the great players that should be added, right? Who, who should we be picking with the number six spot? Who should X, Y, Z, you know, should we get a running back with the number 18 spot? And, you know, I know that there are some fans that are a little, uh, a little deflated, you know, when, when Jalen Waddle came up and, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the other Alabama wide receiver that was still out there that won the Heisman trophy. Right. And, you know, and then at number 18, when we didn't take a running back, I know that there were some, some fans that were a little deflated, but in my opinion, I think these were bigger needs for the Miami dolphins. Uh, you know, and I was, I was like, all right, we need an offensive lineman, but we don't need him at number six. You know, and they picked up Liam later on, you know, and then um, and then we got a safety because I also felt that that was an area of, of weakness for us as a as a Dolphin team last season. Um, so it worked out really, really well. And with Javon Holland, which I think he can be a starter also on day one, especially now that uh, the Dolphins have traded their uh, their prior starting safety. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of positive for me. I'm I'm a, an optimist, I think, by by trait. I've always been that way. I think my wife loves it, but also she's sick of me saying that this is going to be the year that the Dolphins are going to turn it around. So, uh, But I think this year is going to be the year the Dolphins actually make it to the playoffs. So we'll see how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I agree with you. I think, I think this is the year uh, for the Dolphins to, to make the playoffs. And, and one, of the, one of the themes of the draft was, was kind of college reunions, and we saw – you know, the Dolphins reunited to a talk of OO with Jalen Waddle. And you see it, you know, you see it all over the place. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. You see it with with Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. You saw it in a couple other places as yep. well. Yep. You know, Chase and Burrow. What one of the things that the NFL has, has kind of become over the past past couple of years to me is about about comfort. Whenever you're drafting these high quality players out of college, you want to pair them with somebody that you're comfortable with. Do you think that's something that we're going to see a heck of a lot more in the future? I think it all depends on how things turn out, right? And for for the Miami Dolphins situation, last year, one of the challenges that we had, especially towards the end of the season, especially during for that final Buffalo Bills game, was we didn't have wide receivers that, that were consistently catching the ball from Tua, and they weren't consistently getting space when they were running their routes. You know, so you bring in a Jalen Waddle type, you bring in a Fuller type, you know, as we picked them up from from the Texans last season, you're not going to see that or we shouldn't see that where where there's just not there's too tight of a space or the wide receivers are just not catching the ball. Uh, I did a uh, actually I found a video after the end of the season, which which I was able to count. There were 13. I would say there were 11 or 12 truly dropped balls where the wide receivers could have caught those balls during that Miami Dolphins versus Buffalo Bills game. And you could see that was an area that coach Flores wanted to address right away early on. And as you said, these two are comfortable. Now, some people would say, um, you know, when, uh, when Waddle was asked prior to the draft, uh, 
uh, I think he was asked the question if he wanted to play for Mac Jones or Tua Tungo Bailoa, you know, and he said Mac Jones. And I always came back and said, well, of course he's going to say that. He's trying to help Mac with his with his draft capital. Two is already on an NFL football team, right? So, um, but I think the two of them will work very, very well. What I like so much about Jalen Waddell is how he's able to cut so quickly and change direction so quickly. And also, and I paid attention to this too, as I was looking at some film is the way that his head moves. So his head will be looking to the right and the defenders watching the head will go in that direction. And then all of a sudden he'll make that cut and he'll go the opposite direction. He'll be wide open. I don't know if that will necessarily happen in the national football league, but I think that's a skill that you've got to be able to have. And it seems like, it seems like Waddle has that skill. One of the big emphasis for me uh, for the Dolphins in, in the off season was being able to add a couple guys that could really take the top off the defense. And they certainly did that with, with Waddle and Fuller because last year, you know, you alluded to it, those drop passes. We saw a lot of screens from Tua. We saw a lot of, of short passes, 10 yards or less down the field that are sure completions, which, you know, led to his you know up, upper tier completion percentage. But this year, what are you kind of looking for for the Dolphins offense to take that next step, being able to push the ball down the field a little more and Tua taking the next step as a quarterback, being able to push the ball down the field a little bit more because it's all about explosive plays. I mean, we talk about the SEC and college football win with win with explosive plays. The all NFL, you're talking about is explosive plays in the SEC, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're talking we're t- and that's what we're what we're going to in the NFL is explosive plays. So how how critical is how critical is it for Tua to take that next step, pushing that ball down the field now with the two you know weapons that he has? Well, I think it's going to be extremely critical because he. His first season in the National Football League, even to his standards, were not where he wanted to be. And he said it in his press conference last week. And even as a fan, as much as I'd like to say, you know, Tua is great, which I do want to say that. But his first season, it was good enough. I keep saying that, right? It wasn't great because if it was great, he would have done things a little differently. They would not have had situations where they switched quarterbacks, you know, middle of the game or towards the end of the game. So being honest, being an honest diehard fan, um, Tua, Tua definitely wasn't where he needed to be last season. But with that being said, too, you've got to look at the situation that we, he was in. And these are not excuses. These are the actual facts. The man came off uh, a significant injury that took him time to rehab. So that was the first football. He didn't get a preseason to play football. He didn't get you know a training camp to really be able to, to put that stuff to the test. Secondly, he said it himself. His hip was not where it needed to be during the season last year. He said, right now, last week, his hip is 10 times better than it was before, than it was last season this time. You know, So that's going to make a difference. Third thing, and you mentioned this already, the weapons that he now has and being able to throw it over the top, that's going to be a huge op- opportunity for him. And I think I, I said this, I was talking with Omar Kelly, who is a, a sports writer for our local newspaper, the South Florida Sun Sentinel. And I said last year was probably his floor because I don't think he'll I don't think at all he can be at that level or below that level. What we saw him last year. And I asked I asked Omar, I said, what do you think his ceiling is? And uh, Omar said his ceiling is a Drew Brees type. And I said, if we can get him to that Drew Brees level, I mean, you're talking Drew Brees is a pro bowler, a pro bowler, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? When all things are done. And if uh, and if we can do everything to get to it to that level, I mean, the Dolphins are going to be playoff contenders 
for many, many years, not just one year or two years. It's going to be a consistent, you know, consistent thing for us. So, but having that opportunity to throw it over the top, it leaves so many other things available to you, our running game, our short passing game. But if you're not able to throw it that 20, 30, 40 yards down the field and your receivers are not able to catch it, which is the other important thing, um, those short types of situations and those run game situations are not going to be possible for you. One of the the things that is the key for the Dolphins this year is their defense. And they signed they sign Jalen Phillips for, from the draft and then add a couple guys in free agency as well. When you look at – and it kind of brings me into the schedule – they just got released. When you look at the schedule, you know, the, the Dolphins are starting right out of the gate at New England against Buffalo, two, two division rivals to start out. And then you go on the road to face the Raiders. And it's just a really difficult schedule this season. But I really do think that the, the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs this year. What What's going to be the key defensively for the Dolphins this year in order to make the playoffs? I think defensively they're going to have to continue to – perform like they did last season up until that bills game the dolphins were in the top five for total defense takeaways um quarterback pressures third down uh third down conversions they were all in the top of you know top in the league so i think they need to continue that and i love that the addition of phillips and and similar to you know, similar to Tua, it's all going to be about his health. And I think that's the biggest concern with Phyllis because they said it's, it's going to be one of two things. Either he could get re-injured again because concussions are nothing to mess around with, right? Once you've had one concussion, you could be susceptible to other concussions. But he was able to have a good season with the University of Miami and not get himself hurt, you know. Um, or if he stays healthy, he – I already I already read an article from from another news, a news organization that said – he could be a he could be a defensive player of the year candidate if he stays healthy. So it's all going to depend on how he's able to do. And, and again, I'm taking the positive route to say if this guy can be that defensive player of the year and we got him at number 18, right, versus the uh, the Washington Redskins who got who was their top um, their top pass rusher last season. Um not Redskins, excuse me, the Washington football team. I apologize for that. Um, but anyway, he was a top five draft pick the prior year. You know, so if we can get this guy at 18 and he can really be as productive as as people are talking about, I think it'd be huge. But on top of that, you know, we've already got one of the greatest quarterback duos in the National Football League right now with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. And we've got, you know, Holland now in that safety position and our linebacker core you know, including Andrew Van Ginkle and uh, Jerome Baker. These guys are, are very, very talented. And the other thing with them, they're very young. So they are only going to get better. That's and that's my thinking with a lot of these young guys that we're drafting within the last two or three years. Our offensive line, very young. I think they're just going to continue to get better every year that they're in the National Football League. When you go when you go around the division, and, and I agree with you, you're alluding to, to Chase Young there as a – the you know, comparable to Jalen Phillips, and I, I view, view that the same way. But when you look at when you look at the division, when you look at the AFCs, you're starting out right away. You got the Patriots and the Bills. The Patriots, you know, they've they've been the the cream of the crop up until up until last year when when Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. But then you kind of bring it, you bring in Mac Jones now, but for the Patriots, I don't I don't know exactly, you know, who's going to start. Week one for the Patriots is it going to be Cam Newton or Mac Jones? But 
when, when you look at the round of the division, the Bills are coming off a strong season. The Jets have a new head coach, they have a new quarterback. In Zach Wilson, they have some new weapons. And so when you look at the Dolphins' place in the division, you know, you look at the – it's kind of the Bills and the Dolphins' race uh, when you look at the early part of the season. That That's what I, I think as well. And, and I know that our first eight games are probably going to be the toughest in our schedule right off the bat. And I think after the first four or five weeks, we're going to know how the season is going to go. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, my thinking with the Patriots – you can't really count out Bill Belichick, but I do anticipate them starting Cam Newton the first couple of games, you know, to get give Mac some some additional experience, some additional time. I doubt that he would be starting day one. I just don't see that happening. And to be honest with you, Cam, especially by the middle to end of last year, he was nothing special. He was not the same Cam Newton that he was when he was young in, you know, in Carolina. So so I think we're going to be able to go into New England, you know, with some of our new uh, new young guns, even though um, Fuller is going to be suspended for the first game of the season, we're still going to have a really talented roster of young guys going into to New England. And, and you know, the, the second week, which is our home opener against the Bills, they are the team to beat right now in the AFC East. And uh, and I would love to say that that the Dolphins are going to be able to to beat them and and sweep them throughout the season. But I just it's going to be hard for me to be able to say that until we see the teams playing right until we see both teams playing consistently. And they've they've gotten stronger also through the draft and through free agency with the with the Bills. So um, I think you're right. And, and with the Jets, let's be honest, the Jets are rebuilding. They are in the first year of a rebuild. And it's going to take more than one draft and one free agency period for them to become relevant, I think, in the AFC East. Um, I think really my opinion with the Jets is they're going to be similar to what we saw with the Miami Dolphins two seasons ago. You know, we started out the season 0-7 and and then we won five of the last, what was it, five of the last eight games or five of the last nine games. So we ended up going five five and 11 that season. I think we're going to see something similar to the Jets. It's going to take them a couple of games to kind of get their get their flow going, and then I think they're going to win some the second half of the year. I really like Robert Soleil as a head coach. Uh, I think he is a, he's a player's coach, and I think he really relates to them and can get a lot out of them. So it's going to be – this AFC East is going to be something to watch over the next couple of seasons because I really do see good things coming out of this entire division. I def- definitely agree. I mean, you look at the the two young quarterbacks that the, the Patriots and the Jets have now, quarterback of the futures with, with Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, they're – they're just going to continue to rebuild, going to going to build around them and have strong offenses, and then defenses will come along as well. But I mean, you kind of alluded to it. The the first half of the schedule is the Dolphins' tougher half. The back end of the schedule, you got the Jets twice, the Giants, you got the Saints, the Panthers as some of those teams. But what what is a what's a realistic uh, expectation for for other for other Dolphins fans? Mm-hmm. That, that are watching and listening, just what, what you think the, the overall record is going to be. And w- will the Dolphins win the division, or do you think they'll they'll get into the playoffs at, as one of those, you know, at-large teams? So, realistically, I, I, I go back and I look at the progression that our team has taken over the last couple of seasons. We went 5-11 and 11, uh, two seasons ago. Last season, we went 10-6. and six. So I think, and this is this is a true opinion of mine, the floor is 12 and 5 
for this season. And 12 and five, obviously, is 17 games, which is weird to get used to saying, right? 17 games in the season. Um, but I think 12 and seven is the floor for the Miami Dolphins. I'm sorry, 12 and five is the, is the floor for the Miami Dolphins. When I look at the schedule, and, and I was having a great conversation with another Miami Dolphins fan, and he said, usually when you look at a schedule for your team, you can easily point out which ones should be losses because the teams are just so strong and you know, even you know, the bottom of your heart that your team cannot keep up or is not supposed to keep up with certain teams. When you look at the 2021 schedule and when you look at what the Dolphins have done as a team so far, the Dolphins could win every single one of those games. There, there's not one game where you say, the Dolphins should absolutely lose that game. And I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to go 17-0 because that is unrealistic. But any one of these games, the Dolphins can truly win. It's all going to be about health, and it's all going to be about where Tua can bring us. I think the success or failure of this upcoming season is all going to depend on how Tua is able to, to progress from last season to this season, which I think is going to be very positive for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. And and when I when I look at the the Dolphins schedule, eleven and six, twelve and five was the was kind of the the range that I came up with. And you know, like you said, there there's really no game where the Dol- where you can look at it as a Dolphins fan and just say, hey, we're probably going to lose this game. I mean, we don't know the Bucks are going to be tough. We know the Bills are going to be tough, but there's not there's not a single game on the schedule that you think we have absolutely no chance to win that game. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you know, Biggie's where as we're wrapping up here, it's been all been an awesome conversation. Thanks so much for for coming on. Just tell everybody where they can find you on social media, what what you got coming up, or where where else they can find you as well. And and uh can you can you give us a, a little insight as to to who you're telling people to nominate for uh Dolphins fan of the year in twenty twenty one? Yeah, so so a couple things. First of all, you can find me on Twitter. I'm right there's my Twitter handle, EN693. Uh, I'm also on YouTube at um, my handle on YouTube is Big E, but you have to search Big E Miami Dolphins because there's another wrestler out there who's very popular named Big E that you'll find instead of me. Uh, and also a lot of my work through podcasting and when I write is through dolphinstalk.com. Uh, that's the site that I work with. And as far as the you know, as far as the fan of the year program, you know, there's there are amazing fans that are of the Miami Dolphins right now. I've got my eye on a couple of po- folks. You know, there's um, Danny Johnson. He is the the CEO of the the Positive Porpoise, which is a Facebook group that all they do is is do positive things in the community. Um, over the last year, they've raised over a hundred thousand dollars for various charities. Uh, he's done a great job. Also, you've got, you know, fans like Carol and Chris Barker. They haven't missed a home or away game in like 20 years. Chris has an amazing, you see this, my, uh, my Miami Dolphins stuff in my office right here. Uh, Chris has, his is probably 50 times my size. He's got such amazing Dolphins memorabilia, but he also donates some of his memorabilia to, uh, to get some, some uh, funds for charities as well. So he does that. You know, and then you've got these other great ones, Big Papa Pump, who's at every Dolphins game. That's that's uh, he's working up the crowd. He's very recognizable through uh, through Dolphins land. So it's just there's a lot of great ones, and I think it's just whoever everyone feels is 
uh, it will, can represent the Dolphins the best for them, I think is the one that they want to they want to nominate. But I, I've got a couple in my mind, obviously, as I just mentioned. Um, and and also I have to also mention Mark Angelo in California. He does similar to uh, to what Danny does in uh, Danny, who's in Tennessee and goes to the Dolphins games in Miami. Uh, but Mark Angelo, he does something similar where he's raising funds and stuff for for the Dolphins charity. So it's just it's amazing. It's amazing what the Dolphins community does. But I also have to give a lot of credit to the other fans for other teams because they do amazing things also with uh, with their team. So I'm I'm proud to be part of this group and I'm proud to be able to to talk about what some of these other fans are doing, too. Well, I mean, there, there's there's no doubt about it. And, the the you know, just the, the diehard fan, fans of any team, they're they're just so positive. You know, sometimes a little bit negative, but but mostly but mostly positive, and uh, they just do so much great work for the community around around those cities where those teams are located as well. But Biggie, thanks so much, man. Let's do it again soon. Probably maybe during the season we can get you back on again. I'll be happy to, Ben. And thank you so much for having me on, man. And fins up, fins up always. Yeah, there's no doubt. And check out Biggie on Twitter. And thanks so much to him for coming on today. And thanks to you for watching and listening to Crutch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crutch Time Plays. God bless everybody.